The essence of worship is what goes on in here from your heart. And if it's not from the heart, it isn't worship. What is the essence of worshiping God through singing? That's the question John Piper answers from Ephesians 5, 17 to 20 in this episode of Light and Truth. This sermon was originally preached at Bethlehem Baptist Church on December 28, 1997. The reason music exists, the reason songs exist, is because there are feelings that simply demand that we do more than describe reality. That we do more than talk about it. Prose must rise to poetry and poetry must be extended to song and song must give wing to music. That's why it exists. God is simply too great to be exhausted by preaching or conversation or discussion or analysis. That's why there are songs and poetry and music. It's all about reality and the greatness of reality and the depth of reality and the intensity of reality and the echo of reality here in the heart and here in the head. And when these two come together, it bursts the bonds of ordinary prosaic speech over and over again throughout the history of mankind. And God has ordained it to be that way. He created music. He created the human heart. He created emotion. Music and singing are necessary. So, let's go to this text that talks about singing. Mandates singing. Describes singing. Puts singing so close to the center of worship. Ephesians 5 17 to 20. Number one, and I'm not being exhaustive. Singing is to be an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now notice, just a comma and then a participle. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. In Psalms, this is in Psalm speaking, in Psalm speaking, this is song speaking, speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So the first point is this singing talk is an overflow of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That means it's supernatural. God is God. He wants it to be an overflow of fullness of the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? Well, if I had time, I would develop 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16, Romans 8, 4 to 8, and Galatians 3, 5. And I would argue as my main point in how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to prayerfully read Meditate on and believe the breathings of the Spirit in the Word of God. 
The people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are filled with the Word of God. They are saturated with the Word of God. You get on your face over the Word of God and you cry out to God for His fullness. And then you don't empty your mind. Woe to those who empty their mind at that point. They don't empty their mind. They fill their mind with the breathings out of the Holy Spirit which are written in this book. It is Theopneustos. God breathed. This book is God breathed according to 2 Timothy 3.16. And if you want the breath of God to fill you, the pneuma, the spirit of God to fill you, you do it with your face over this book and your heart crying to that God. That's the way he does it. The singing of the church is to be an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number two, singing is to be from the heart. Verse 19 at the end, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now the opposite of that would be with your mouth by your willpower minus heartfelt affection for what you are saying. In other words, um, just like we've been seeing in this series on worship for several weeks, the essence of worship is not form. It's not mere words out of the mouth. It's not beauty of a voice. It's not beauty of a piano. It's not uh, articulate sermonic sentences. It's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is what goes on in here. From your heart. And if it's not from the heart, it isn't worship. Something else. Now, I said to you several weeks ago that I would come to a point in this series where I would try to encourage you that in spite of all my strong insistence upon authenticity and heartfelt reality in worship, we must not have an all-or-nothing attitude to coming into this room on Sunday morning feeling like, good grief, if I'm not red hot for Jesus this morning, there's no point in my coming. Now, right here is where I want to say that. Suppose things have been so bad, or for whatever physical, emotional, spiritual beat-upness there is in your life, you don't even feel the longing. But you feel a flicker of remorse that the longing isn't there. You can offer that to God. Because even remorse that the longing for the fullness isn't there is an honor to the Lord that He is the only hope. You wouldn't feel any remorse. But if there's remorse... At the bottom of your cup, just a little sediment of remorse that the longing isn't there, that the fullness isn't there. You can say, God, I don't have fullness. I don't feel longing. And I'm so sorry. And that's worship. That's worship. Number three, singing is to be to the Lord. Verse 19 Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, I know it says to one another at the beginning of the verse. 
speaking to one another. And it ends the verse, depending on where your version is, to the Lord. And the marvel of this thing called corporate worship here is that they're both true in the same verse of the same singing. It's not some singing to one another and some singing to the Lord. It's you sing to one another to the Lord. To the Lord means that our worship is going to be God-centered. It's going to be Christ-centered. He's the Lord in verse 20. Through him, we give thanks to God the Father. So God-centered, Christ-centered, I meld those things. It means that everything we do in this service, especially our singing and preaching, will relate to God and be God-centered. It will be God-word. I like that word. God-word. Put on the front of a book one time. The God-word life, the God-word worship, so that everything in this room is God-word on Sunday morning. Even though I'm talking to you right now, I am talking with a very keen awareness of the living God present, listening, watching, working in this room right now. This is not a lecture. This is a spiritual transaction. Mediating through my heart, touched by the Spirit, to your head and your heart, truth, God-inspired, hopefully anointed and opened to you and illumined to your mind for a spiritual transformation. This is no ordinary thing that's going on here. And so it is when we sing. We are singing even when we sing, A mighty fortress is our God. We're talking to one another, but we're doing it in the presence of God, for the glory of God, aware that God is listening, desiring that God be pleased by our singing to one another. So yes, it is to the Lord even when it is to one another. So these three so far, spirit-driven, Heartfelt, God-addressed, or God-centered. Do you, do you feel the impact that that should have on a worship service? To me, it says no trifling, no joking, no silliness, no superficiality, no slapstick. Things are too deep, too weighty, too glorious. God is the origin of them. They are to take root deep in our heart and they are to be relentlessly focused on God so that they are seriously joyful and joyfully serious. And there's an atmosphere that we want so much to be here in worship that you won't have anywhere else in your life. There's nobody trying to create this for you on television or in the newspaper or home or anywhere probably. And to taste it is an awesome thing. Number four, singing is to be undergirded by a deep biblical theology of God's sovereign goodness. Singing is to be undergirded by a deep biblical theology of God's sovereign goodness. Now, where in the world in this text do I see that? I see it in verse 20. Because in verse 20 it says, as you're singing, always give thanks for all things. And that is an outrageous thing to say in this world. Unless 
you have a deep biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. If God is not sovereign and good, I'm not giving thanks for everything. Thank you. For everything? I mean, when you say a sentence like that, always giving thanks for everything, (laughs) you better have a theology, folks, because you're going to be ripped to shreds in this world of Holocaust and cancer. I don't know how people read the Bible and worship with the Bible open before them without a profound, deep, biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. I call it deep. I say deep theology. Because I am, as a pastor, absolutely devoted not to being superficial with a chipper, praise God, anyhow, approach to evil. A superficial statement to Dave and Laurie. Oh, praise God, anyhow, your daughter's been cut open twice and still struggling for her life after three months in the hospital. Praise God, anyhow. And and the thing I'm underlining with my tone of voice there is the non-deepness of it. The non-feltness of it. The non-empathy of it all. The Bible says, weep with those who weep. The Bible says in the same chapter, Romans 12, abhor what is evil. And you can extrapolate from that, evangelize against it. Fight for justice. Go into science and get at the microbes that cause it. Oppose this thing. And if you don't have a theology of the deep, sovereign goodness of God, how are you going to read verse 20 while you're doing that? God is glorified mightily and powerfully by those who hate sin hate lostness, hate pain, try to relieve it, try to evangelize against lostness, try to fight for the overcoming of evil in the world, and all the while carrying this deep ballast in their boat called confidence that in it all God is at work. Somehow, for our good. All I mean by theology is being able to hold that together. That's all I mean. You don't have to call it theology. Call it something else. But that's the way we're going to be if I have anything to do with it. We're going to weep with those who weep. We're going to hug. We're going to be there. We're going to fight this thing. And they're going to hear the song on Sunday morning. 
You who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God and on him cast your care. They're going to hear that and they're going to know they mean that here, but they're not superficial. They're not blasé about my pain, but they do mean that. Praise God, David. Praise God, Glenn. And on him cast your care. So, our singing here has to be rooted in and based on a deep, not superficial, empathetic, biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. Number five. Singing is to be to each other. First I said it was to the Lord. Now I'm saying... It's to each other. Again, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms. Speaking to one another. Underline one another. In psalms. Now we did that. We did that this morning. Several times. Just like we addressed the Lord several times. Speaking to one another in psalms. Hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Making melody with all your heart. To the Lord. Now. If you needed which you probably don't, but if you needed a clear biblical mandate for corporate worship, this is it. See, I've developed and stressed with all my might, all of life is worship, eating is worship, taking naps is worship, remember? All that's worship. But we do this every Sunday morning. We do this thing. We gather in this room, and here we are in this room, maybe four or five hundred of us right now. We gather... And the reason is because this text says, speak to one another in songs. Do that. You can't do that by yourself. You cannot obey this text alone. And so we get together and we sing together. Now I see several implications here. One is this. We should do a lot of congregational singing. When the committee to design the philosophy of worship and the job description for Chuck and the call, we said, what should be the defining sound of this church? Should it be organ? We don't even have one. Should it be keyboard, piano, recorder? And our answer was... The congregation singing should be the defining sound musically of this church. All the other things are wonderful. I love what I heard this morning. But the defining sound is the congregation lifting its corporate voice in powerful song. And oh, that we would become more and more mighty in our singing to one another. Here's a second implication. Many of our hymns and our contemporary worship songs are addressed to each other. Oh, worship the King. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Crown him with many crowns. Majesty, majesty, worship his majesty. All of those songs do not address God. They address each other. They're speaking to you about God 
in the presence of God, knowing that God's listening and getting glory, but we're addressing each other. Majesty, majesty, worship His majesty. Would you with me? That's what you're saying. When you sing that song, you're addressing it to one another. And the Psalms are filled with such kinds of third-person speech, Godward. He is Lord. And the third implication, in other words, my point there was, that's good. That's good. Let's do that. It's okay. Let's mingle the you songs and the he songs. And then the third implication of that is a solo like Roxanne's. Keyboard like Mark's. Worship teams. Choirs. Are in this text, I believe, warranted. That is, they find a biblical justification because if the Bible says, speak to one another in spiritual songs, there is nothing in that text that implies we should always be speaking all at the same time. If it's speak in song to somebody, one Roxanne did that to us. She spoke to us in song. Worship teams sometimes take over for a, a refrain or a choir does an anthem. They speak to us in song. We pray against performance mentality with passion at Bethlehem. But in saying that, we are not saying that every speech in song that comes from a group to a group is a performance that puts you in a passive mode, non-worshipping. That's not true. Your mode at that moment of Roxanne's singing or worship team singing or choir singing ought not be a passive mode. It ought to be a deeply resonating yes, 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 yes mode. Finally, singing is to be varied in its forms. Verse 19 again, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see those three? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Trying to design a worship service for a group just this varied, and we're not very varied. When you take the world into account, you know, 7,000 languages, hundreds and hundreds of ethnic backgrounds and musics, we're not very varied, but we're very varied within our non-variedness. And trying to des design a service for this group is not easy. And sometimes we push some of your limits, and sometimes we push other of your limits on the fine folk spectrum. And so I just plead with you to understand that this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs raise, uh, uh, stretch us. Now the reason for this, and, and I say this in closing, is simply that God is so infinitely varied in his beauty. And he touches us at ways that are very, very deep. Now we all know the difference between Handel's Messiah and chestnuts roasting or Silent Night. 
There is something about God that demands the hallelujah chorus and done majestically. Something that demands that. And there is something that demands just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. Now, that's not Handel's Messiah. That's just plain old down-home folk, I need you song. This is Light and Truth, God-centered preaching to help you see Christ clearly and treasure Him truly. I'm your host, Dan Kruver. Thank you for listening. On our next episode, John Piper will preach a sermon titled, Worship in the Age to Come in our series, What is True Worship? I hope you'll join us. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.